Hi there, this is Jonathan Healy. On this week's Red Business, a bit of a magic trick. For this initial part of the podcast, I'm going to sound like this. But for the two interviews that follow, I will sound normal. It is a trick that would give Paul Daniels a run for its money. But this week's theme on the podcast is the nicer things in life. In a bit, we will take to the skies with Emirates Airlines. But first, the man who took the country club and turned it into the Montanati. The Red Business Podcast with CompuBe. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuBe.com. Now in Red Business, we're going to talk to a man who has an awful lot of knowledge about hotels in his head, having been involved in the industry for many, many years. Stepped out of it and then, like the Lanigan's ball that he enjoys, stepped back in again. Frankie Whelan, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for the opportunity, Johnson, to uh, talk about the hotel business and uh, all that's gone on there in the last number of years. And there has been an awful lot that has gone on in the last few years. Has it turned the corner at this point, Frankie? It has turned the corner in the fact that um, business is uh, now predictably solid which is really badly needed, I suppose, uh, to to reinvest in, in, in all of our uh, hotels, etc. Although it's come out a very different business than uh, the, the shape we were in um, in the early 2000s. Um, a lot of, lot of people have suffered. A lot of families have lost uh, hotels, etc. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there was an international trend of, um, you know, corporations owning hotels, etc., um, that's almost been put on a, a, a kind of a, an accelerated process in Ireland over the last 10 years because of the recession. So, yes, things are better, um, but they're, they're better for different people. And that's not necessarily a good thing. You now are involved primarily with the Montanati Hotel. Yeah. That's the one people will be familiar with most. And anyone who's been into the hotel will just see how much of a change there has been. I mean, it used to be the old country club. Yeah, that's what yeah. people would have known it as. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to say how much you've sunk into it? I'm perfectly willing because, um, you know, being involved in hotel investment, uh, hotels are not, um, you know, uh, cheap investments, um, you know, between the, the, the acquisition of the hotel and the investment, it certainly would be standing north of 12 million in total. Um, you say that very calmly. I do, I suppose, yeah. Um, and it's there's, You've it, come to terms with it, it clearly. Is it the only way to say it, you know, <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, I think um, the... The, the market in Cork is a very discerning one, and I'd break that up into a number of um, sections. Whether it's corporate, corporates you're looking to stay with you midweek uh, are working with multinationals and indigenous companies um, who have stayed in hotels all over the world, and they have a particular standard that they want. And let that be from Wi-Fi to their in-room experience. You know, gone well are the days when having a swimming pool and an ensuite room are good enough. Now it needs to be so much better, if you like. Um, so... You know, if you take the the, the, the the midweek corporate to the the weekend break, people's time is just so much more valuable now. And let it be a couple coming down from Dublin or coming over from the UK, they're probably both working. Um, they guard their time off with their lives, and um, so they are making actually an investment in you and in your hotel when they pick a hotel. Um, and you know, we're very lucky in Montanati to have a very very loyal local base as well. Um, so whether it's um, you know some local ladies coming in for afternoon tea, you, or you do a good scone. We do a good scone. Yes. Uh, well, would you believe actually within a week of opening, um, there was um, a, a, a visiting party of six local ladies and. Uh, 
they they asked me to join the table they left the seat free and they proceeded to tell me that they didn't like our scone mix and uh, as to you know who picked the color for the house of the of the hotel so uh, you have to be open to criticism um you know you have to put your your pride in your pocket to sit down listen and learn oh, i'd bar them straight out uh, <laughs> having said that you were involved with the choice hotel group and yeah. i want to talk about that because your involvement in choice came at probably the worst possible time insofar as the arse fell out of it from 2008 on. Hotels went through the doldrums. You had the, in Dublin in particular, you had, you had hotels offering rooms for 20 quid a night. Mm. I mean, that must have been a very stressful time, mm. to say the least, for you and everybody else who had their money sunk into this. Mm. So, yes, I was involved in probably a very um, stressful time within the hotel sector, but I was also involved, I suppose, going back to 1998 when I set up the company. Uh, in the most exciting time and between 1998 and 2007 we opened 28 hotels we were the largest um, hotel company in in the country with over 4,000 rooms um, and traded very very successfully and uh, we did our first trade sale in uh, August 2007 I remember we got our money when we sold to what is now Delata on the Friday of the August bank holiday weekend Union Bank Switzerland went wallop the following Tuesday and so it was the great escape now, um, if the story ended there, that would be fabulous. But of course, we felt we could walk on water uh, following that deal. And uh, we found that, yeah, we were about two miles out in the water and uh, we couldn't walk on water. So we went through a very tough time um, between 08 and 2013, um, essentially keeping the company afloat with 1,500 employees. At that stage, we had 11 hotels um, from the Clarion here in Cork to the Gibson in Dublin, uh, which opened in 2010. I signed that deal in 2007 at the peak, but it opened in 2010 by the time the hotel was built with Carton House. So these were big, big operations. Mm. Um, and uh, But we stuck at it and uh, we worked hard at it. I, I think we are recognised that we were hoteliers as opposed to maybe other professions, i.e. developers uh, running hotels. We were, and uh, my team were, were all hoteliers. But at that stage, yeah. you were still looking at the numbers. Oh, you yeah. were still looking at the lack of revenue, all of the noise, which is even hard to think mm-hmm. about right now that was going on in the yeah. background. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a personal toll on everybody. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And, you know, I always remember um, every Friday evening at about quarter to six, they used to do, you know, a roundup of the regional papers. And that, you know, you've no idea how, how good it was to hear that report every Friday because you got through another week. Um, the rug could have been pulled from beneath our um, uh, feet several times. But, you know, the, the, the most um, stressful situations over a while become the norm. And you adjust, and I think it's part of the human psyche. The, the new, as I call it, the new norm. The new norm occurred, and uh, even though we were in stress, etc. But one thing that we did was we, we held a very, very tight management council of, of, of five people who understood everything that was happening in the business. And we made that pact to each other at the very start. We said, look, we may not come through this, but there will be no surprises. And that was really, really important to us. So we do a very, very united team, which I'm really pleased to say did very well when we eventually sold the company in March 2016, having recovered and having got on that path of growth again. Which was a great sense of satisfaction, I would imagine, for you. Um, I want to talk about the sector right now, because if we were to believe all that we read, it's a fantastic time to be in hotels. In Dublin, they're they're packed out the door. There's busloads of tourists arriving from every direction. Mm. Is it that good in Cork? 
Uh, no, I think um, it's fair to say that uh, both occupancy and particularly average room rate would be very different in Cork. Um, but equally so, at the cost of entry or the cost of um, buying a hotel or, or, or uh, building a hotel uh, in Cork vis-a-vis the site cost would be a lot less. So it's all hills are green. It's very easy to look at um, Dublin and say everything is wonderful in Dublin. Um, they're going through a really good time at the moment, but they, you know, a lot of the, the old operators were burned away. Uh, the new, um, I suppose, the vulture funds control a lot of the, the, the hotel stock in Dublin. So they will get their money and they will move on. And that's the nature of the beast, you know. But there's a big difference between the two two d- dynamics. Is it good, though, at the moment? I mean, are you able to look forward with a certain amount of confidence mm. now that, you know, the Montanati, I think it's the third biggest hotel in the city mm. in bed capacity, mm. is going to thrive, is going yeah. to survive in the future, even if there is new competition? Mm. It is, but I suppose... We, we've learned, I suppose, with experience that, um, you know, yes, business is a massive factor, but also the level of gearing that you have in the hotel is another, you know, and that's something that uh, was very different 10 years ago where, you know, it wasn't untypical to put up 10% and be funding 90% and maybe with, with, with blended rates and mezzanine finance, etc. Uh, now, you know, I think starts with the banks you know you get six times EBITDAR typically um, which means essentially you have to go out and find 40-45% of the cash to put in so that kind of puts controls on, on a lot of things there is a solidity in the market um, you know we're very lucky in Cork the Irish market has been very very good to Cork there are worrying signs as well obviously Brexit uh, you know the UK market is really important to Cork down six and three quarter uh, uh, percent this year the American market is strong but the dollar is weakening so that's a concern for next year um, so you know without we've got used to you know grey skies and 50 shades of grey you know um, but uh, we now must focus on delivering something that's just a different product and a different offering. And I'll come to that in a minute. But yeah. where we're sitting right now, we're in the Republic of Work. And I was just thinking when you were talking there, there are one, two, three hotels that are due to open within a mile radius of where we are over the course of the next couple of years. Could we go from the position of not having enough hotel rooms or just the right amount of hotel rooms to having way too many hotel rooms and all of a sudden the existing operators are competing with new operators and uh, great for the consumer, pretty poor for the hotelier yeah yeah there's look at you know by the time you finance a hotel get planning get into the ground you know get a hotel built it's a cycle of in excess of two years so it's very hard to get supply and demand just spot on because you know the cycles have become shorter and shorter so you know you'd be very very lucky if by the time that you 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 decide to do a hotel to when it opens its doors there's the same economic environment out there that just simply won't happen um, I think from a Cork perspective, um, you know, hotels, the only thing that changes in building a hotel is the site value. It costs the same to build a hotel. Um, and I would argue that it's marginal enough to build in Cork at the moment. I don't think the ac- occupancy and average room rate are quite there yet to deliver the brand spanking new four-star large hotels. It has got past that situation in Dublin about um, uh, 18 months ago. If you look at the Gibson Hotel in Dublin, it's for sale for... Uh, approximately 350,000 bedroom at the moment um, you know uh, if you take the Clarion was sold for about uh, 220,000 bedroom here in Cork um, therein lies the difference you know um, and that would be premium sale at the time you know it's a little bit higher than what you'd pay for the average night rate for each of those hotels that yeah. you've mentioned it yeah. I want to talk to you about standards mm-hmm. because you strike me as a man for whom standards are very important mm-hmm. are you the nightmare to walk through the door of any hotel 
because you're going to see not how beautiful or how gracious or how tasty everything is. You're going to see the problems and you're probably going to be the man who will tell them about them. Mm. So if you take that particular approach of being a nightmare walking through the doors, then you're confining yourself to one set of eyes looking at the problems. The, the real challenge is to actually get your entire team to have their eyes switched on uh, and have everybody motivated um, into achieving excellence, uh, achieving, you know, uh, not just the standard of the hotel, but the standard of the attitude of the team within the hotel, which to me is as important, you know. And uh, we always say that... Um, you know, uh, when you train people, are you training them to, 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 to go elsewhere and say, well, the bigger problem is actually not training them for, for people to stay with you, you know? So I think you have to look at a hotel, get the team behind you, know what you're competing against, know what your peers are at. And I'm not talking Cork here, I'm talking Dublin, London. Um, so where are customers coming from? That's what they associate the norm in hotels. So the whole team has to be educated into that and motivated into that. And, you know, that cannot be done by fear. It's done by involvement. But do you go around with your finger running it along the top of the counter, uh, checking for that kind of thing? Because I'm guessing, given that the Montanati's mm. in such good nick and you've spent 12 million euros on it, mm. you want it to be right. No, of course you want it to be right. And, um, you know, I'm very lucky that uh, the team that's there understand the standards that are required and their international standards, you know, and uh, for for a very discerning guest, you know. Um, do I do it myself? Absolutely, of course. But I hope I'm not the only one. You know, I'm hoping that someone has done it before me, you know. And finally... Did you change the scone mix having spoken to the six albums? We sure did, absolutely. <laughs> I was not going to risk. I think the next time I met them, there was probably going to be swinging bulb involved. But <laughs> yeah, so it is changed. Yeah. It is changed. Yeah, and yeah. that's probably the one that I was talking yeah, about that yeah, I tasted. Yeah. Frankie Whelan, we wish you and everybody in the Montanati the very best success. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much, Johnson. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com And now on Red Business, we're going to talk about one of my favourite topics, which is the aviation industry. With me now is Ender Corneal, who is the country manager for Emirates Airlines, uh, one of the best airlines in the world by all accounts. I'm we, not, we think so. Yeah, you're not going to argue with that. Um, tell me a little bit about how the business has changed since you started out here, bit of a punt. I think you were one of the first airlines to fly to the Middle East from yeah, yeah, I mean, one of the first certainly started out about five and a half years ago uh, with a single aircraft, um, 237 seats. So definitely, you know, dipping our toe in the water. Um, but before long, uh, that aircraft was upgraded to a 777, which is about 360 seats. I joined the company in 2014 and about two weeks later, we doubled the capacity. So we're now... Uh, Sorry, Blaise, that, yeah. that was a good turnaround. And a slight shock to the system. Um, <coughs> and now we're, we're, we're selling 22,000 seats every single month, um, 1,500 tons of cargo. Business has grown exponentially. About 80% of our customers travel beyond Dubai to places like Australia, uh, the Middle East, other parts of the Middle East, India, uh, the Philippines, and about 20% stay in Dubai. But certainly we've seen huge demand in all cabins, first class, business class and economy class. And, you know, despite increased competition all the time, you know, our numbers continue to grow. So it's been a very successful venture. We live in a country where airline travel is dominated by two carriers. So we're talking about Aer Lingus and we're talking about Ryanair. Now, Ryanair's reputation precedes them. Aer Lingus went through a torrid time and the service dropped you guys have built all around service, um, which must make it 
interesting for you because you worked with Aer Lingus for years. You know how the Irish, uh, what the Irish have come to expect out of an airline. Are people surprised when they board an Emirates plane? Yeah, I mean, Emirates take a totally different view um, about service. That our view really is, it's all about the experience for the customer. Um, and that's from the, the check-in to the aircraft. You know, it's the kind of thing, in a way, Aer Lingus was, was doing back in the 90s. Um, but certainly, we've innovated the product in all cabins. Um, I mean, the in-flight entertainment, for example, we offer 2,500 channels. It's bound to be something you're going to want to watch. Um, you know, we don't charge for food or alcohol on board. So it's a, it's a different, different uh, approach. And that pays dividends because our load factors are, you know, high 80% throughout the year you know we don't really have peaks or troughs it's it's pretty steady so how come you can manage to maintain that service when it's been driven out of what i'll call the domestic market well i suppose it's been a focus of the airline since it started like uh, the 25th of october uh, we were 32 years old and and since the start service has been at the center of everything and that's in the training of the crew how the product is delivered the product itself you know we're always trying to make sure that we've got the best of everything on board but at a price that that customers can afford. And that's one of the challenges I have is that, you know, people may perceive Emirates as something that's very inaccessible or expensive when in fact it's very, very cheap. And if you compare, you know, a transatlantic flight from Ireland to Dubai, very same flight time, if you look at Emirates, we're always going to be cheaper. And that's not something people expect. And then when they get on board and, and find that the product is of a very, very high standard, you know, that m- makes people think, gosh, I'm going to come back. In business, timing is everything. Um, you, you say that you started flying out of here five and a half years ago. That was probably at the height of the economic downturn and immigration was big. So you would have been, I suppose, part of that story for many people as they would have left Ireland and gone abroad. Now that the economy here has recovered, have you seen a challenge to that model? Because a lot of those people, they're not going, uh, leaving the country anymore. And maybe they're not coming back. So how are you still maintaining those high load factors? Well, I suppose one of the great things about our business model, unlike other carriers, is that we're not dependent on any particular market. You know, BA are dependent on the UK market. Erling is very dependent on the Irish market. Emirates, there's no one market in our network that delivers more than 30% of our revenues. So we can take a bath in one market and still you know, be profitable. In terms of emigration, yes, yeah, sadly, you know, we would have been a conduit for a lot of folks leaving the country. But as times have improved and the economic situation has changed, we're actually finding we're bringing people home now. People who maybe have done well abroad, coming home for weddings and christenings. So, you know, the the, the bridge, if you like, that we're providing, I suppose it goes in both directions. And yes, the immigration piece is probably always going to be there. But what we're seeing now is, you know, Irish people coming back to the country. And that's where a direct flight is a real game changer. Because it's much easier now to get from the likes of New Zealand or Australia back to Ireland with a one stop at, at Dubai. It's designed for connections. There's good shopping. You know, people like to split their trip in half rather than go to a place like Heathrow or Frankfurt or Schiphol. I want to talk about um, Cork Airport. I know Nemers have absolutely no plans to fly out of Cork as of yet. Let's let's see how we go with time. But you would have been involved in the aviation industry pretty much all of your adult life with Aer Lingus. What do you make of what's been happening at Cork? We've seen growth. We've seen the start of Transatlantic. Is this the start of a bit of a renaissance for Cork or is Cork always going to be at the level it's at right now? Well, I mean, if you look at Cork, you need to look at it in the context of aviation in general. And aviation in general is highly cyclical. And there's a direct corollary between GDP and air travel. GDP is up, air travel is up. 
and unemployment, there's a link between unemployment and leisure travel. High unemployment means very low leisure travel. So Cork has been hit, by, as many other carriers have been, airport has been, have been hit by economic situations. Now, as things are improving, capacity is coming back into Cork Airport. You see Norwegian operating, Arlingus operating, Reiner operating. Demand is going to increase. What Cork really has as a USP over other airports are the facilities. You have a really state-of-the-art facility. And carriers that are considering to fly from Cork will look around there and see who else is flying. And they'll say, gosh, you've got Transatlantic, you've got London. That's a real calling card. So I have huge optimism for Cork Airport. Um, the, the, the population is here. The industry is here. There's business travel, leisure travel. I think the future is very bright. I actually said this about two years ago. You know, this is just a downturn. It's a natural cyclical event, and it's going to come back. I think it's coming back now. And and when we look at Ireland, Dublin Airport, where you fly out of with Emirates, it's jammed. And, and you know, we built Terminal Two. Now they're talking about maybe Terminal Three. They're building a second runway there. It's almost representative of Ireland that if we shove everything into Dublin, it doesn't make sense. We need to spread the load a little bit more. So, is there more potential for for Shannon Airport, for Cork Airport, maybe even Ireland West Airport to to take some of that, particularly the tourist numbers coming? I think there is. I think a lot of work is being done by Tourism Ireland and by Fulch Ireland to to open up the the, the, the customer proposition. I mean, Dublin Airport is, is, I suppose, a victim of the success of, of air travel in general and, and the speed at which the economy would appear to have recovered. Um, and there's always going to be a lag between airlines wanting to grow their business and airports keeping up and building the facilities because, obviously, an airport has to plan way in advance. And I think, you know, certainly no one would have expected hitting 30 million. But I'm not sure that the solution for that is to move business elsewhere because airlines will fly where the business is and where the customer wants or to fly to. Go. So I think that the challenge is really to look at regulation, look at the, the speed at which infrastructure is, is provided at Dublin Airport and ensure that you know that lag is narrowed. And if an airline wants to grow, that they can. They're not constrained by the number of gates, the number of taxiways, or indeed the runway capacity. Just finally... Have you become a bit of a stickler when you get on board a plane? Obviously, you love flying with your own airline, but when you get on board other airlines, do you are, are you like a bit like Francis Brennan now, going around rubbing your finger along to see if there's dust and generally being quite critical of how things are going? Have your standards improved an awful lot in the last few years? My standards are now sky high. I am the worst. I'm far worse than Francis Brennan. Anytime I fly on, on a competitor, but even when I fly in Emirates, I'm looking around making sure the crew are looking after the passengers well enough. If a gentleman or a lady needs their bag into the overhead bin, that someone is helping them. I'm looking at the food. You, you never stop. And you're even more critical, I suppose, of your own carrier than other carriers. But, I mean, that is one of the secrets, I think, of Emirates, is that attention to detail. I'll tell you a quick story. We, we, were sponsor, we are sponsoring the Irish Open Golf. And two years ago, the golf was in uh, County Down. And one of the sponsorship team came over and was checking the seller at the table and picked up two little salt sellers and had he went crazy he was so annoyed and I said what are you so annoyed about he says they're the wrong shade of white now I giggled at the time but then I thought that's why it's so good people like him senior people like him are worried about that level of detail and if we're worried about the colour of the salt sellers on a table at an event in Ireland how much more attention do you think there is to the quality of the food the quality of the aircraft you know and that gives us real confidence in selling this product that that's the, the attention to detail well, you're already at one million passengers out of Ireland I'm sure that figure is going to grow more Enda Cornell of Emirates thank you very much for joining us in Red Business thanks Jonathan 
My thanks to Frankie and to Enda and to Leah Hennessy who helped put it all together. If you want to get involved, Red Business at redfm.ie. Catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB, building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com.